Welcome to Matt Graham podcast number two. We're back for our second installment in this series of podcasts. So thank you for the response on the first podcast. We had some great support. We had some great response and people seem to like it. So we're going to keep going. Uh, I just want to remind you guys that we do do an extended version of the podcast. So we have this version, which is the public version. Everyone gets to see it. And then we also have the extended version, which goes on my locals page. So if you go to notmattgram.locals.com, you can pay a minimum of $5 a month to see the extended version of the podcast where we do member-only Q&As, we do different topics, just just more stuff, just a longer version of the podcast. And it's it's very epic and it supports the channel, it supports the mission, it supports the cause. So I would really appreciate it if you guys went over there and supported. That is my plug. That is housekeeping. And now let's talk about the meat and potatoes of the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about rock bottom, getting out of rock bottom. This is a position that I found myself in personally, um, and it's different for everyone. It takes, you know, different trajectories and there's different versions of rock bottom for every different person. And, uh, People experience it at different times in their lives, but I just want to reassure anybody that is in that lost state, that is in that despair, that's in that depression, that's in that anxiety, that's just down in the dumps, that um, it is so unbelievably common. I talk to hundreds of people on a week-to-week basis, and this is one of the more common things that I hear. It's just I am lost. I'm completely lost. I have no direction. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I I can't get out of bed every day. I just feel completely empty. And this is something that I hear from a lot of guys and something, like I said, I've experienced myself. And we're going to talk about the way to get a little bit of momentum, right? Because you don't need perfection. I think, I think a lot of the times why people feel like they are less than they could be or they feel um, lacking in their life is because they have these expectations that they're supposed to be Elon Musk, that they're supposed to be these perfect creatures. And like, yes, we should aim for perfection. We should strive for excellence. That is something that we should do because why, why would you be anything less than you could be? But you can't be perfect. So aim for perfection, but be okay with falling short of perfection. Anyway, when you're at rock bottom, don't even be thinking about perfection. Be thinking about progress. Be thinking about momentum. You need the tiniest little wins just to get a little iota of confidence, some little shred of hope so that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because right now, all you see is darkness. All you see is bleak, negativity and you see nothing else. And so we need to start racking up little wins all through things that within our, that are within our control. And we'll talk more about that later. Um, but let's dive in because you guys have basically gotten the gist at this point that we're going to be talking about rock bottom and, and how to get out. Now, not everyone's going to be at rock bottom and this isn't going to apply to everyone. But I think that if you listen all the way through, there's going to be something valuable for everyone listening, regardless of, you know, your current state. I think that we are all lacking something at one point or another. There are always things that we could do better. 
And it's good that even if you are in a good position to sort of brush up on these things, audit your current behavior, even if you're feeling good, what can we do better? What can we improve upon? So um, while we're talking about these things, just sort of think, how does it apply to me? How can I implement what I'm talking about uh, into my life in a way that's going to either get me out of a really dark place or just enhance a really good place? So let's get into it. That was me drinking water for those that can't see. All right. So the first most important thing to audit, I truly believe this, is your physical health. Everyone who watches my content, everyone who knows me personally knows that physical health, in my opinion, sits at the foundation of everything that we do. If you do not have your physical health, if you don't have a strong body, there is no way that you can have a strong mind. It is a prerequisite. I, have, I always have trouble with the word prerequisite. See, I'm, I, I'm saying it wrong now, but we're just going to ignore that and we're going to keep moving forward. Okay, so physical health. Where do we start with that, right? Well, a lot of the times there are pretty obvious issues, right? Obesity is the number one killer in the United States. So if 40% of the United States is obese, that means that Four out of 10 people watching this, assuming that you're in the United States, are obese. And so at least a certain percentage of you guys watching this need to solve that problem. And you would be amazed at what gets solved when you go about solving that problem. Now, look, when I say this, people get mad at me because they think that, oh, you know, if you lose weight, you're going to start being able to pay all your bills magically, or you're going to be able to get off your medication magically or whatever, right? They think that when I say that physical health is the most important thing, they think that I think that it's going to solve every single problem. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what I think. But it is a problem that must be solved. It is the most important problem to be solved because how important is everything else if you are literally not alive? How can you achieve your goals if you are literally bedridden because you're so unhealthy? It is it is the most obvious thing to me. And people, of course, want to fight me on it because chances are they're unhealthy. And people like to justify their own behavior by saying that I'm wrong or using fallac certain fallacies to uh, try to dispute my argument. But the fact is, everyone needs to be healthy. You know, I, and this is kind of a tangent, but like our ancestors didn't have these problems. Our ancestors weren't struggling with massive levels of depression. They weren't suffering from massive levels of obesity. These just weren't problems. And I, and I truly think a large part of it was twofold. A, the foods they were eating were actually real foods. They came from the earth, right? They were either foraged or they were hunted. And the other side of the coin is they spent all of their time in nature, outside, getting vitamin D from the sun, getting fresh air, touching grass. I love the touching grass meme. Like It's my favorite insult to tell people. It's like, dude, you need to touch grass. Uh, anyway, that's sort of a little tangent there. But my point is, is that our ancestors didn't have a lot of the issues that we're dealing with. And so my philosophy is, is that 
we need to start looking back, right? I always say that not everything good is new. Nope. Not everything new is good and not everything old is bad, right? And so we live in this culture where it's like there's a new shiny object, there's a new shiny thing, and we just immediately adopt it. And one of the things that I like about the Amish, not the not the like super Amish that doesn't even have like electricity in the homes. The, uh, Amishness I've learned is a spectrum, right? There's different levels of Amish. I don't know how we're getting onto this subject, but anyway, there are certain, there are different levels of Amish. So you have like your super duper Amish that like cook on cast iron, which is super based and like everything, there's no electricity. Everything's, you know, fire and, and natural. They don't have, you get it, no electricity. And on the other side of it, you have the sort of, they call it beachy Amish. And, um, I watched this video one time. I forget the name of the, the channel exactly, but, um, they went into this Amish community. It was a beachy Amish community and they sort of did like an interview, just like a day in the life of like what a beachy Amish community is like. And it's not too far off from, you know, modern life. They live in a normal home. They have electricity. They drive cars. They do these things. But one of the things that one of the Amish men, I believe, might have been a woman, I have no idea, said was when the Amish, when it, when a new piece of technology comes out, the Amish come together as a community and they decide, does this piece of technology benefit our community? Is it going to make our lives better? And not just better in the sense of more convenient, not better in the sense of making us more comfortable, but actually improve our life in a tangible way that is going to make us better people. That's going to strengthen the community. That's going to make things more efficient, right? Actual benefits, not, not comfort and convenience because not everyone values comfort and convenience like we do in the West. Anyway, and I think that's really how we have to look at technology a little bit more. You know, when, 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 when something comes out, we are just so quick to adopt it. When a new food product comes out, when a new phone comes out, when a new laptop comes out, when a new device comes out, whatever it is, right? We are just like, yep, yep, yep. Give me that. Give me that. Give me that new and shiny. And we don't stop to think, what are the pros and cons of this product? Is this going to benefit us? Even if it's a good product, that doesn't mean if it's going to be beneficial to your life. You could have an amazing product. Some could argue that the iPhone is equally the best and worst thing to happen to society. You could make that argument. I would understand both sides of it to say the iPhone was the one of the best inventions in human history. A, a logical and, and rational argument could be made for that. Then there's the other side that says it's the worst thing that's happened to humanity. And there's a logical argument for that. Which would I lean towards? Probably the latter, personally. I think life in the <laughs> I think life in the 90s was kind of like the optimal situation, right? It was enough technology to where we were enjoying it, we were appreciating it, appreciating it, but it wasn't enough where it was taking over our lives like it is now. What's the meta point here? <laughs> I've, I've gone off on all these tangents. The meta point is, 
I think a lot of the reason why the despair and the the problems that we have with our physical health, our mental health, are the result of being in an environment that is not natural. You have to understand that we are evolutionarily basically still cavemen, right? We 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 have not evolved that fast, but our technology has. Our technology, we are living in this futuristic world with like hunter-gatherer brains. We are completely outside of our, our domain, out of our environment. It is not good. And, and you wonder why so many people feel a lack of purpose, why they feel depressed, why they have ADHD. It's like we are overstimulated. We are overstimulated and underconnected. And not connected in the sense of like uh, uh, internet connection, like connecting. We, we can communicate with whoever we want it, whenever we want. And that's great, right? That, that's, that's a positive thing, I believe. But we're underconnected in the, in the communal sense, in the face-to-face conversation sense, in the actual real-life tangible relationship, you know, being with each other sense, the family sense, and... That is detrimental to society. And it's proving that it, that's being proven more and more every single day. We continue with physical health. So when you're auditing your physical health, the first thing to audit is your diet. This is the number one thing. You are what you eat, right? The, the cliches are the cliches for a reason. You can't outwork a bad diet. You are what you eat, right? So we all know that. Yeah, we continue to eat processed garbage. Um, yeah, you got to track your food. The, the easiest way to, track, to, to, to audit your diet is to track what you eat. Because chances are, if you're overweight, which 40% of you are, actually way more are overweight, 40% are obese. I'm pretty sure that's the most recent statistic. Prove me if or correct me if I'm wrong. So if if you're obese, you need to audit your calorie intake because the only way to become obese is to consume more calories than you burn. That's the only way to gain weight. You know, you can argue it's like, okay, I have a hormonal imbalance. It's like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like, sure. That might be the case. And that's obviously a difficult thing. I know people who deal with that and it is not easy. It, it, it's, it's like a, it, it, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You take your thyroid medication and it goes up, it goes down. It's like a, it's like a losing battle. And I understand that and I empathize with that. Um, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I truly believe that if you're not consuming a diet that is natural, that is, that is, uh, that does not have any of the processed chemicals, the seed oils, the sugars, the, the nonsense. If you rid all of that out of your diet and the problem persists, then it's like, okay, yeah, go to a doctor, go deal with like, but these are the boxes you have to check first. And I think this is going to be a theme throughout this whole conversation about being at rock bottom and dealing with mental health issues and physical health issues. It's like, if you're not living an optimal life, deal with that first. Address that problem first. Check your diet. Check how much you go outside. Check your relationships. 
Check how much you enjoy your job. Check your stress levels. Like if these things are out of whack, stop treating the symptom, treat the problem. And if the symptom persists, then deal, then, then find alternative ways. But like, if you're, you know, if you're depressed and you're taking medication and you're going to therapy and you're doing all these things, but meanwhile, you hate your job, you have a terrible marriage, you're severely overweight and you have all these issues. It's like, can we deal with the problems first? Can we just address those problems? And if you want to take your medication and you want to go to therapy in the meantime, fine, but address the problems, address the problems, please, for the love of God, address the problems. We have gotten so accustomed in the medical system in the West to treat the symptom. We cover it up with a bandaid and we ignore the problems. We tell people that are wildly unhealthy that they are healthy. They are not healthy. It's unreal. I could talk about that for hours, but I will not, and I will continue with the plan. All right, so we're auditing our diet. We're tracking our food. We're making sure that we're burning a reasonable amount of calories relative to the amount that we consume, right? We're controlling our weight. We're controlling our calorie intake. If you're too skinny and you want to build muscle, if you feel weak, if you feel uh, scrawny, underweight, whatever, right? Then you need to eat more. But you need to figure out how much you're eating. So I would take two weeks. If you're if you're at rock bottom, first thing you can do, great idea, just take two weeks, track everything you eat. Don't just look at the number of things, right? How many calories you're consuming, how much protein you're consuming, how many fats, how many carbs, right? That's important. You should be tracking that. You should be aware of that. But also the quality of the food you eat, right? If you're consuming largely processed sugars, if you're consuming seed oils, if you're consuming a lot of stuff with microplastics, if you're consuming a lack of, if you're not consuming enough water, right? If you're consuming soda, if you're, these are all things that contribute to negative health effects. And so just audit yourself. Don't make a judge. Don't make a judgment. Just audit yourself. And don't, and don't change your behavior because you're auditing yourself. I see this a lot when I tell people, when I work with coaching clients and I say, all right, first two weeks, we're just going to figure out what you're eating. We're going to figure out what your habits are. We're going to figure out what you do. Right. And then they go and change stuff because now they, now there's someone over their shoulder, uh, watching what they eat. It's like, no, 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 keep doing whatever you were doing so I can figure out what the problem is. So when you're auditing your diet, just do what you were doing, see what, see what it is, and then go from there. And I would say that the top things to eliminate, if you're at a calorie surplus, meaning, well, it's hard to know how many calories you're burning if you don't like track, if you don't track that. But let's say if you're, just look up your basal metabolic rate, just look up your basal metabolic rate. You can easily do it. Just go, just look up basal metabolic rate uh, calculator in Google just type it in basal metabolic rate calendar cal- calculator. Don't look up calendar. You're not going to get the right thing. And uh, calculate your basal metabolic rate, and then look at that relative to the amount of calories that you're consuming. Especially if you're sedentary. If you're sedentary, let's say your basal metal- basal metabolic rate is 1,700 calories, and you're consuming 3,000, you have a pretty large problem. 
right? You need to significantly cut down your calories. That is the, that is the first thing you need to do. I don't care about the quality of the food you're eating. I care about the fact that you're eating way too much. Okay. That's the first thing. And a great way to, to cut down your, on your calories immediately is intermittent fasting. Big fan of intermittent fasting, big fan of, fan of one meal a day. Don't starve yourself, eat enough protein, but if you, if you want to cut down your calories without having these tiny little meals that barely fill you up, intermittent fasting is the way to go. Just cut out one meal in the day. I don't care which meal it is, probably on either ends, dinner or breakfast. So figure out how many calories you're consuming. If it's way too much, stop eating so much. Once you're in a relatively good calorie range, figure out the quality of the food you're eating, right? Audit the amount of sugar you're consuming, the amount of vitamins you're and minerals you're not getting audit the uh, amount of uh, like uh, seed oils and stuff like that. Your canola oils, your vegetable oils, your uh, sunflower oils, your palm oils, stuff like that. Those are all terrible for you. Do not consume those and um, just start eliminating those things. It's very hard to eliminate microplastics. It's very hard to eliminate seed oils because basically anywhere you go, you're going to find them. Uh, so you have to be realistic, but just do the best you can. In terms of diet, that's basically all I have to say about that. There's a, there's a ton more. I'm just going off the top of the dome. So we're going to move on. We've been talking about diet for a while. We're 20 minutes into this podcast, so we're going to keep moving forward. Okay. Um, by the way, I wrote this note down and I forgot to mention it. Did you know that you eat, on average, a credit card's worth, worth of plastic every week? A credit card's worth of plastic. A whole credit card. That's disgusting. So you should probably fix that. Okay. Go outside, touch grass. We talked about that. Um, get outside. Perfect. Get away from screens. Yes. Become physically strong. Okay. So if you're not going to the gym, you need to go to the gym. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you do CrossFit. I don't care if you do bodybuilding. I don't care if you do push-ups. Do something. Anything, something, do something that moves your body every single day. I don't care if you go for a walk. I don't care if you box. I don't care if you do jumping jacks. I literally don't care. Do something. That's all I have to say. Just move, 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 move more, eat less, move more, eat less. It's very simple. Okay. Now we're going to get into the more, um, not, not vague, but just uh, ambiguous sort of uh, topics here. The more esoteric topics, shall we say. Um, when it comes to sort of the philosophy of improving your mental health, um, we have to talk about a few different things. So many of the things that we are insecure about in life, many of the things that we encounter are skills. We lack confidence because we lack competence. Confidence, self-worth, self-esteem, whatever you want to call it. The reason that you lack it is because you're not somebody that you respect. You don't respect yourself. So how do you begin to respect yourself? Well, this is how I like to think about it. Let's say I'm building a video game character. Or let's say I'm going to meet a friend or just build my perfect 
buddy, whatever. Just a blank slate of a person. That is not you. What character traits would this person have that if you met them and they had all the character traits that you are sort of imagining in your mind, what would they need to have in order for you to respect them, like deeply respect them? Or a better, a better way to think about it, if you're a man especially, what kind of man would I want my son to be? What kind of character traits would my son possess that I would feel proud as a father that he was my son? Okay. I want you to really think about that. I want you to really take time and think about what are those character traits? Respect honor, courage, strength, right? Just go down the list, write down everything that you find respectable in another person. And then start to adopt all those things, right? Because if you become a if you become what you find respectable, you will in turn respect yourself and you'll have a better sense of self-worth and you'll have more self-confidence. The reason you don't have it is because you don't possess any of the character traits that you find respectable. So you need to figure out what those character traits are and work on developing them. If you admire strength in another person, you need to start becoming stronger, which means putting yourselves putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, putting yourself under stress. Maybe it's physical literal physical strength, go to the gym. If you admire somebody that dresses well, start dressing better. Take off your sweatpants. I'm wearing sweatpants. Right? Get some get some decent clothes. You don't have to spend money. You don't have to spend a bunch of money. Just go to TJ Maxx and dress a little bit better. If you respect courage in a man, do things that are courageous. And start small, right? Go talk to the girl. Go apply for the job. Ask your boss for the raise. And you'll be, you'll be a little bit more proud of yourself for doing it, even if you crash and burn. If you respect courage in somebody, you will respect yourself for doing that. You see where I'm getting at? If you want to build your self-esteem, if you want to build your self-respect, you need to do the things that you respect. How can you possibly have confidence? How can you possibly have respect for yourself if you're sitting around doing things that if you had a friend doing it, if you had a, a, a sibling doing it, if you had your spouse doing it, you'd be like, what are you doing with your life? The re- a lot of the times the reason you feel bad about yourself is because you should feel bad about yourself. I hate to be that blunt about it, but it's, it's often the case. Because you have a certain standard, you have an idea of what you find respectable, of what you find admirable, and you're not doing it. And you know you're a fraud. You look in the mirror every single day knowing that there's a version of myself out there that I admire. There's a version of myself out there that I respect. And I'm not being it. I am not that person. And so... You can either sit there and feel bad about it. 
you can sit there and wallow in your own self-pity or you can go out and one by one every single day, getting little wins, earning respect for yourself, and eventually over time, you will become the man or the woman that you respect. So put that one in your pipe and smoke it. Anyway, all right. The next sort of piece of this is um, managing thoughts, right? Because thoughts can be something that that can be disastrous if we don't know how to properly manage them. Let me take a sip of water. Thoughts are... I like to think of thoughts as credits on a movie screen. And I mentioned this in a recent video. I recommend checking it out. It's called um, 10 Lessons I Wish I Knew 10 Years Ago. And I think of thoughts like credits on a movie screen. And what I mean by that is when you're sitting at the movie theater and you're watching the movie, the credits are rolling. Well, obviously the movie's over, but the credits are rolling. You're waiting for the Marvel post-credit scene or whatever. And maybe you're checking your phone, maybe you're talking to the people you're with, but the credits are rolling one way or the other, right? And so you can fixate on a name or a certain role on the credits. And then you start thinking about that. You're like, oh, you know, who's that person? What do they do? Then you start looking at their IMDb page and you're like, oh, they're in this movie, right? Then you start going down the rabbit hole. Maybe when you get home, you start, you watch another one of their movies. It's like, or you could have just ignored, you could have just ignored it entirely. Even though, even though the name went by and it was there and everyone knew it was there, you could have just as easily just let it go by, but you fixated on it and you pulled it out and you were like, hmm, let me look at that. And thoughts to me are the same way. The thoughts are going to come and go. They're going to scroll up the screen, whether you like it or not. The negative, the, the, the negative ones, the positive ones, the indifferent ones, the ones you like, the ones you hate, the ones that repeat themselves over and over again, they're going to keep coming. They're going to scroll. They're going to scroll. They're going to scroll. And it's up to you whether or not you fixate on certain thoughts. Now, there are certain thoughts that you should fixate on. There are, there are productive thoughts. There are positive thoughts. There are, there are thoughts that you should fix. Whoop. There, there are thoughts that you should fixate on, thoughts that you should explore because they're productive to your life, because they're beneficial to your life, right? But there are thoughts that you just got to let scroll because if you let them scroll, eventually you're going you're gonna to forget the, the, the credits are going to scroll long enough that you're, you're going to forget what was at the beginning of the credits. You see my point? The thoughts are going to come and go. You can't control it. You can't control what name comes up next on the credits. You can't control what's coming next or anything like that. But what you can control is whether or not you fixate on that thought. And of course, this is easier said than done. And you have to train your mind to do this. But it's possible. And I know it's possible because I did it. Because I would fixate on these thoughts. For me, it was my my physical health, right? So I would be worried that I had some disease. I would be worried that, you know, I had some new form of cancer or whatever. And if you have health anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People will look at me like I'm got seven heads. 
when I talk about this stuff. But if you actually, if you have health anxiety or had health anxiety at one point or another, um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have like a little like headache, right? And then you Google the headache. You're like, oh, I have a headache. And then of course, WebMD shows you that you're dying in 17 different ways. You have, you know, all these different diseases and none of them are just a normal ass headache or a stress headache or whatever. And uh, you you just go down that rabbit hole and then you end up going to the doctor and then the doctor tells you, dude, you're fine. And it's like, I don't believe you. And then you go to another doctor and then you get the headache. The headache goes away and you're fine. And then the headache comes back and then you're like, I got to go back to the doctor. It's like, this is a real thing, by the way. And I've experienced this. Um, luckily, the medical professionals that I have in, in my life are close enough to me where um, if I were to go down that rabbit hole, which I don't go down the rabbit hole anymore, which is the point I'm trying to make here. Um, but if I were go to go down that rabbit hole, I would be like, Hey, well, what do you think about this? And they'd be like, stop being dumb. Um, but yeah, so I had to learn how to not fixate on the thoughts anymore. I had to learn how to stop going down the rabbit hole that when I got a headache, I had to just assume the best and that if something were wrong, I'd figure it out soon enough, you know? If something were wrong, I'd probably know, or there'd be other signs of it, or somebody else would tell me, hey, you're not, you don't look too good, right? I just have to trust that my mind is trying to trick me because it has before. The evidence suggests that we've gone down this path so many times and every single time it's led to the same answer. Dude, you're fine. Now, that's not to say that there aren't times where, you know, you expect the worst and it is the worst. And I don't, I don't, I literally just don't like to think about that. The overarching point here is the meta point here is thoughts are going to come and go. I still get the thoughts now. I still get the, you know, if I get a headache or I have a sore throat, or if I have, you know, this little bump I have on my arm here, it's like underneath my skin and what it is, it's just a cyst, right? It's a normal, it's a normal thing, but, um, you know, when I feel something like that come up or I notice it, then, you know, of course I get the thought of like, well, what is this? What could it mean? Blah, 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 blah. But I, but you know, I feel it and I'm like, all right, you know, if it's something then it'll, then it'll be something, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to assume that it's fine. And obviously this is not medical advice. I'm not the, I'm talking about thoughts here. I'm not talking about what you should do with your body. Um, I'm just suggesting that, you know, Anxious thoughts, negative thoughts, these things, they are fixated upon and that's why they gain so much power. They feed off of your attention. And so when you stop giving them attention, they lose all their power and you move on to the next thing. And, and you're never going to be free of anxious thoughts. You're never going to be free of negative thoughts. They come all the time. Okay? They're never going to stop. It's just the, it's just the fact of the matter. And you have to learn to accept it. And the minute you learn to accept it, you can start working on training yourself to not fixate on them. And then once you learn how to fixate, how to not fixate on them and start fixating only on the good thoughts and you only, you only give your attention to positive thoughts, then you start to see the world not so much in a negative way, not so much in an anxious way. It's not scary. It's not depressing, but it's positive. It's productive. There's excitement. There's there's pes uh, uh, optimism. So, I hope that helps. But we're gonna move on to the next.
subject 30, 30 minutes, 35 minutes into this. Okay. Um, this one, some people aren't going to like, but I'm going to say it anyway. You need to be able to control your impulses. If you're not capable of controlling your carnal desires, your, your impulses, be it your impulse to eat food, your impulse to, um, your sexual impulse, let's say, I don't want to use certain terminology on the, uh, on YouTube, but let's say, uh, your sexual impulse, which is to me, one of the most important ones. And we'll dive into that. Um, maybe this podcast, maybe another one. I don't know, but, um, we all have these impulses. We have these, we have these emotional triggers. We have the things that our sort of animalistic brain wants our our lower self wants. And we have to learn to control these things. When you, when, when you see the food, you can't just eat it. You have to babysit yourself. And as crazy as that sounds, as silly as that sounds, it's, it's the truth. You need to kind of babysit yourself. And, uh, it takes discipline, but if you don't control these desires, they control you and it happens very quick. And, and the deeper you get into it, the harder it is to come out because not only, not only have you trained yourself such that when you have a stimulus, the response is automatic and you just eat the food, you just lay in bed, you just punch the drywall you just do the thing because you're, you have the stimulus that says you should do the thing. So you do the thing, right? That's not you being in control of your mind. And the more that you do it, the more you reinforce that. And if you want true control over your mind, which is a massive part of mental health, which is a massive part of personal development, which is a massive part of being successful, get gaining progress, being the best version of yourself, you need to be able to control that impulse. When the stimulus shows up, you don't just act, you make a decision and then you act. Sometimes you do make a decision, right? When I talk about uh, controlling your sexual impulse to guys, especially because they struggle with it the most, I don't mean never use your sexual impulse. If you're married, I mean, you use your sexual impulse to create children, duh, but when you see pretty girl on screen, that is not time for you to act on your sexual impulse. Sorry, bro. Pretty girl on screen does not mean touch pee pee. Sorry, bro. And so those, that's what I'm talking about. It's having control over the impulse, being able to dictate when it is okay, when it is appropriate to give into that impulse. You are deciding, not the impulse. And the further that you go down the road of hedonism, the further that you go down the road of giving into your impulses, you will find the less that you care that you're doing it. The less you see it as a bad thing. When you're somebody who is disciplined, when you're somebody who is in control of their impulses, when you're somebody who takes pride in that, when you're somebody who doesn't give into their desires, every single time you do it speaks loudly. It is like a, it is like an earthquake in your head. 
you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I feel like such an idiot, blah, 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 right? It has significance. But if that's your entire existence, you don't even realize you're doing it. If, if, if the minute food shows up, you eat it and that's your persona, that's what you've always done. You don't even realize you're doing it. But if you have discipline, if you eat clean, if you eat healthy, if you're conscious about the things you eat, the minute you have that pizza, you're going to feel like a piece of trash after because you have that sensitivity to it. You have practiced discipline. And when you don't practice the discipline, it is very obvious. But if you don't have discipline, if you don't have that sensitivity built up, it just seems like another day. It's not even a problem. That's why when I talk to guys who are, who are um, addicted to watching Pretty Girl on screen and touching pee-pee, many of them don't even realize it's a problem. A lot of guys do, which I am very happy about. But a lot of guys don't even think it's a problem. They don't even see an issue with them doing it multiple times a day. It is absolutely a problem, dude. That is not normal. The purpose of our impulses, they serve a survival impulse, right? Or a, a, a surviving sort of uh, natural purpose. There's a function to our impulse. Our sexual impulse is not to feel good. That's not the point of it. It is to create children. And so when we get that impulse and we, and we sort of hijack it and we, we take the good feelings out of it and take the sort of natural function out of it, then it just becomes bad because you have your cake and you eat it too. And that's, that is a, uh, it's a scary place to go down because you lose yourself in it. It's like drugs. It's the same exact thing. The reason that our sexual um, fulfillment, so to speak, feels so good, the reason it feels the way it does is because it's a reward for perpetuating the species. The reason that we get a dopamine hit when we when we eat food is because we are being rewarded for hunting. We are being rewarded for gathering food and surviving. These have natural functions and we, we completely have lost that all sense of that. And we just take the, the feelings out of it, the feelings we get, and we just enjoy those. And we enjoy those at such a, such a high rate in an, un, in an unlimited supply that we just get hooked on them. And that's why everyone's obese. That's why everyone's addicted to looking at pretty girl on screen and touching pee pee. And that absolutely 1000%, whether you like it or not, contributes to your mental health and your self-respect for that matter. So stop looking at pretty girl on screen and touching pee-pee, please. With tears in my eyes, stop doing it. Okay. This one, um, 
Oh, wait, I already talked about that. The reality of biological predispositions. Yeah, these things have purposes, guys. We have to go back to nature. We have to go back to nature. For me, especially, I think one of the things that I maybe overlooked um, a lot of a lot of my life and and I attribute maybe 20% of why I felt the way I did at my darkest moment um, was because I was ignoring my nature. And this is not to do with pretty girl on screen touching PP. Um, this has to do with my masculine nature and fewer people are going to like this one than the last one. Um, I personally believe that within us, we have a certain uh, masculine or feminine nature. Obviously, men lean more towards masculine and uh, women lean more towards feminine. And we have to understand what those things mean. And obviously, there are more, it's a spectrum, right? There are feminine men, there are masculine women, there are masculine men, there are feminine women. There's, there's extremes on, on both of these. And if you're, if you're, you have to audit yourself and think, am I, am I living true to my natural proclivity towards masculinity or femininity, right? With our culture, we have been sort of conditioned to live the opposite of what perhaps we might be more in naturally inclined to sort of adhere to. A good example of this. My father is a very masculine man. My father is a very stoic man. He does not, he's not very emotional. He is very direct. He's very straightforward. He is a, he is a, um, working man. He is a provider. He is a protector. He is all of those things. He is a man's man. And there are a lot of characteristics about my dad that many people in my life told me were, let's say, not, not necessarily toxic, just, just odd or strange or weird. And, you know, my dad's the type of guy where he'll be in the corner of the room at a social gathering reading a book because he just doesn't really want to engage. It's not really his thing. And, you know, more power to him. And so... The fact that my dad was very not necessarily in touch with his feelings or uh, didn't express his feelings, I was always told that that was wrong. I was always told that that was not healthy or not the way to be, and I accepted that as fact. And so when I was in my early 20s, I really stepped into my more feminine side. I stepped into my emotions. I expressed my emotions. I expressed my insecurities. I was very open about that. And it's not that I'm not open about it now. It's just that I, I, I know how to deal with it better now, but I sort of, I put too much stock into those things. And I became a much more feminine man than I am today. And I think to a large degree that made me unhappy. Again, like I said, like 20% of it, I was just living something that didn't feel right. I felt like it was more in my nature to be like my father. I felt my 
biological instinct was not to express my feelings. My biological instinct was not to, you know, try to be this soft feminine like version of myself. It just felt wrong. And society and people and culture tells you that it is it it that you should be that way. But the minute that I said, you know what, I'm going to step into that. I'm going to double down on that. I'm going to accept the fact that I am my father's son and be more like him. And I'm not, not trying to emulate him in a very, in a, in a sort of direct way. That wasn't my intention. It was just like, let me stop trying to be something I'm not. Let me just be what I am. And for some people, that does mean being a little more feminine. And for some people, that means being more masculine. The point here is, is don't let society, don't let culture tell you to be more feminine than you naturally are. If you're a woman, don't let society tell you to be more masculine than you actually are. If you want to be the most feminine, dainty woman and you want to be a mother and stay at home with children, you should have every right to. That has become frowned upon in our society. And I'm so wildly against it. Because there are women out there who want that life, who are that feminine, who don't want a career. They don't want to compete with men in the workplace. People, when they hear the term trophy wife or, you know, something along those lines, they, 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 they sort of turn their nose up at it. And it's just like, it's sad. It's like, what's wrong with that? Being a mother is the most important job in the world. You are creating life. That is, there's nothing more important than that job. And we frown upon it in society. And so the point here is that I think that partially, and this is why it's at the end and not at the beginning, because I don't think it's as rampant of an issue, but there are a lot of people that are told to be more masculine or more feminine than they actually are. And I think you should double down on whatever you, whatever you naturally have a proclivity towards. If the world tells you to have a career, if you're a woman, if the world tells you to have a career, if the world tells you to be this girl boss and go out there and come and destroy the men. And you don't want to do that. You want to meet a stand-up guy and be a stay-at-home mom and do all that. Do it. That's what you should do. But on the flip side, right? If you're a man and, you know, you want to be strong and and, you know, get money and work hard and be masculine and emulate those, those tradition, those traditional, um, tenets of masculinity, do it. You have full permission to nobody's stopping you. Um, again, that's just like a thought that I had. It was something that I personally experienced. It's not necessarily something that is a rampant 
issue in our culture. But myself and I've taught and I've met other guys who and and women too who who feel the pressure to sort of conform to the to the version of a man or the version of a woman that society would like them to be. And I think when we're talking about what is natural, what is what is um, what has been for thousands of years, um, I think the vast majority of women are more feminine than society tells them to be. And I think the vast majority of men are more masculine than society tells them to be. And when you suppress that, when you withhold that, you are stopping them from being the most optimal version of themselves. So let's stop suppressing it. Let's allow feminine men to exist. Let's allow masculine women to exist. I have no issue with that. Where I have issue is when you start telling men that want to be traditionally masculine that it's toxic. When you tell women that want to be stay-at-home moms, that want to be traditionally feminine, that it's wrong. It is not. That's exactly what they should do. If that's, if that's what they feel in their, in their nature, in their, what their biology orients them towards. So that's that. Um, what else do we have here? Yeah, that's kind of it guys. Obviously there's more to this and these are just kind of the bullet points that I wanted to talk about in this podcast. Um, Again, the humans are complex. The mind is complex. This world is complex. And it's really hard to navigate it. I mean, I, I've had my own experiences and I've struggled and, and I've, I've learned a lot along the way, but I still have so much more to learn. I've so, I, I have just scratched the surface of what there is to learn. And I'm just trying to help out people that, are not as far along as me. That's what I do. I'm not here to tell everyone how to live their life. I'm not here to tell you that what I believe about the world is 100% factual or is going to work for everybody. But in my own personal experience and what I have talked to with other young men and young women... I believe that it will help enough people that me talking about it will uh, will be beneficial and worth it. So here I am talking about it. And again, I'm not here to tell literally everyone how to live their life. You do you, boo. But... I think everyone has a responsibility to help those along that are not as far along as them. You don't have to be a complete, uh, a finished product, so to speak, to be able to help others. You just have to know something that somebody else doesn't. You just have to have experienced something that somebody else hasn't. You have to have learned a lesson that somebody else has yet to learn. And you share those lessons and you share those experiences and you share that knowledge. You have an obligation to. And that's just what I'm trying to do. 
through this podcast, through my short form content, through all of it. So that's going to wrap up this podcast. If you want to watch the extended version of the podcast, then go to my locals page. It is not mattgram.locals.com. If you want to support the page, if you want to support the cause, the mission, uh, then it's $5 a month. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching until next time. Peace.